I really want you to experience a facet of God that can only be known through giving. There, there are some things you cannot experience any other way. And so in our message today, we're going to continue to talk about the joy of giving, the blessing of giving, and we're going to move as a church united to invest in our future, to make a difference in our city, in a community, really make a difference all over the world. It's going to be fun. So for our text today, I want to look at a passage of scripture that I referenced last week in one of the messages. And when I referenced it, I really just had it in my heart, like there was something there that God wanted us to go back and look at. And uh, this passage that we're going to look at today, it's one I'm very familiar with. It's a passage of scripture with a, a character in the Bible that I'm very familiar with, very well known. But as far as I can tell, in 11 years of, of ministry, I've never preached specifically from this text. I've referenced it. You might be familiar with the story, but I, I've never looked at this specific instance. And there's some things in here as I was reading and studying that God really just used to minister to me. And, and I believe God's going to use to bless you today. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you brought your Bibles with you, you can find your way there. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you didn't bring your Bible, we'll put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. And if you don't have a Bible, one thing I would recommend if you have a phone is you can download the Bible app. Just go to Bible.com. That's the way I engage with the Bible most often. I have it on my phone. It's available to me. I can check it in the morning. You know, the best way to engage the Bible is to have it available. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But 1 Kings chapter 17, I believe this is from the NIV translation. This is what it says. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, speaking of Elijah. Elijah's the main character in this passage. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, just as God had said. And he called to her, and he asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. It's kind of dramatic. <laughs> Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. There's more of the text I want to read to you, but I want to stop right here at verse 13 where he says, don't be afraid, do as you've said, but first, make a small loaf of bread. And I want to use this text to talk to you today about what happens when I put God first. What happens when I put God first? That question, what happens, it's a question that kind of is asked a lot at my house uh, if you don't know, I have four children, three boys, one girl, and uh, being a dad is the absolute joy of my life. I love it. It's so fun to get to know your kids, their personalities. Sometimes you discover that their personalities are your personality, and it's like a mirror, and it's much more frustrating to discipline them when you notice that. But they, they, uh, they 
ask the craziest question sometimes, and uh, it's this kind of question, what would happen if? Crazy questions. I mean, out of nowhere, hypotheticals that don't even make any sense. Like Grant will ask me, Dad, what would happen if I had a pet velociraptor? <laughs> and, you know, I'll say like, well, he would probably eat you alive. <laughs> and he would no longer be your pet. And then he would massacre our family and run crazy. <laughs> Sometimes you get really morbid. Depending. Sometimes, you know, it's like, well, man, if that happened, if he was your pet, like, We'd be gazillionaires. We'd start our own real-life Jurassic Park. <laughs> just make stuff up. I, I, really, I don't know like, what parents did before the days of Alexa and Google, honestly. I mean, I guess they would just lie a lot. <laughs> because my kids will ask me questions, and many times I don't know the answer. And so I'm like sneaking, you know, checking this out on Google, trying to give them the right answer so I can look smart. Like kids that just expect you know, all the answers. Sometimes... Oliver, he'll be like, Dad, what would happen if I was in the NBA? Like, I could retire, be great. And what would happen if I played for the Detroit Pistons? It's like, I would pray that you get transferred. (laughs) Nobody wants to live in Detroit. Crazy question. They they ask me all these these questions. And uh, sometimes there's these questions that they ask me that I can't answer. And I'm saying, it's not that I can't, but this isn't a question that you can just you know, look on Google or, or ask Alexa. Uh, this isn't a question like what happens if, you know, I eat Mentos and drink Coke right afterwards. It's not one of those questions. They'll, they'll ask questions like, Gab, what was it like when you were a kid? Or tell me what it was like growing up on the mission field. Or tell me how you knew you were supposed to marry mom. They'll ask me these questions. And it's not that I can't answer the question. The problem is, I know I can't answer it adequately. Like, I can explain it, but there's some things that you can't really explain. There's some things you just have to experience. You know, giving is one of those things. Like, I can teach generosity to you, but it's not until you give that God teaches you generosity. Once you give, then you can experience it for yourself. You can see what I'm talking about. But until you actually do it, you'll never really know for yourself. Some things can't be explained. Some things just have to be experienced. And so look at the story. I wish that I could have experienced the miracle in this story. Because I can explain it to you, but I just don't know that I'll do it justice. First thing you got to know is Elijah, well the main guy in this passage, Elijah was the man. Elijah was the prophet of the day. He was the man about town who everybody knew his name. Elijah was so significant that when Jesus in the New Testament and John the Baptist in the New Testament are working miracles and doing their ministry, people would say, this is just like Elijah. Elijah left such an impression on the nation of Israel. He was in the mind share of the nation that they compared Jesus to Elijah. Seems a little backwards. Elijah, when he comes on the scene, we don't really know much about his history. We know it was from a place called Tishbe. But he, he comes on the scene and he speaks to this king Ahab, who's a wicked king, 
Because at this point, the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. There's ten tribes to the north, two kingdoms to the, two tribes to the south. Elijah is primarily called to the northern kingdom. King Ahab was a wicked king because he was leading the nation in the sin of idolatry. So Elijah, he comes on the scene and he says, Ahab, it's not going to rain until I give the word. Now this is kind of crazy because <laughs> the idol that they were worshiping, the, the false god that he was leading the nation of Israel in was called Baal worship. And Baal was known as the storm god, this weather god. So he was supposed to be like in control of the rain and all that kind of stuff. And Elijah says, hey, uh, this God that you're worshiping, let me just tell you, let's see how he does because the God I serve, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, he says, it's not going to rain till I give the word. Well, he gives this word and then he jets. He goes to this place called the Brook Cherith. God miraculously provides for Elijah there. But <laughs> due to Elijah's word, there's a famine. It's not going to rain. There's no crops. This brook that he was at dries up. And so God says to Elijah, hey, I'm not going to provide for you there anymore. I want you to go now to this place called Zarephath. There you're going to meet a widow, and she's going to take care of you. Now, it's kind of crazy that he would send him to a widow because widows were not known typically, you know, for being the people you would turn to if you were in lack. They, they weren't known for having an abundance. I mean, particularly in this time, as a widow, she couldn't work, wouldn't work. So she has no source of provision. And then on top of that, it's a famine. So things have gone from bad to worse. You know that Elijah had to be thinking, okay, I hear you, God. I know you've worked in the past. You've miraculously provided for me, but it seems a little crazy. I mean, what is old Mother Hubbard with her bare cupboard, what is she going to do for me in this situation? But nonetheless, let's look at it in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there because I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. One thing that jumps out at me right off the bat is that God's provision always follows his direction. His provision always follows his direction. His provision is always in the place that he's called you to be. This is just one reason why it's so important to be in church every week. Because many times the word that God has for you is in the service that you come to. Many times the word that you need for what you're facing in the week is in the service. And if you're not in the place that God has called you to be, you're going to miss the provision that he has for you. So God said to Elijah, go to this place because I've got provision for you there. And this place, it's kind of a crazy place to call him, to be honest. Zarephath. What can I tell you about Zarephath? Well, you know like how in America we have the Bible belt? Zarephath would be the Baal belt. Like... Baal was this false god. Zarephath was the epicenter of the Baal empire. It, it was the place where Baal worship originated. And God says, Elijah, I want you to go there. Now keep in mind, Elijah at this point 
even though he's well known in Israel as kind of the guy that, you know, God works on his behalf, he's public enemy number one because anybody who's worshiping Baal, well, he's insulted Baal. Two, he's the cause of this famine. So this famine is affecting everyone. And God says, I want you to go to this place, Elijah, where you're not going to be welcome. Go to this place that's hostile to you. And there's, I'm just setting up because there's a lot about this situation that doesn't make sense. But if you remember that God's provision always follows his direction, just know that whatever God <clears throat> is directing you to do today rests in the fact that even if it doesn't make sense, God is already at work. He's already got some things in motion that you don't even know about yet. Because before Elijah even moved, God already had this widow in the works. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, is verse 10, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Now remember, we're in a drought. There's no rain. No rain, water's precious. No rain, there's no crops. It's famine. He's going to a widow who is not able to work, has no source of provision. He says, hey, I want you to give me something that you probably need. I want you to give me something that you could probably use. I want you to give me something that's valuable. And to the widow's credit, she does what he asks her to do. Verse 11 says, she went to go get it. And as she was going to get it, he called, and hey, bring me Please, please, a piece of bread. I mean, isn't that just like a man to do? <laughs> hey, while you're up, <laughs> since, since you're doing that, can I, can I just ask one more thing? And you can tell she was put out by it. I mean, you got to read the Bible like you were there, because sometimes we sanitize the Bible when we read it. You can tell she was put out, because look at what she says. As surely as the Lord your God lives. You know what that means? I swear to God. Swear to God. What did you just ask me? <laughs> Look at this. She goes off. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You sure you want to ask that again? Now, I know, I know she seems kind of dramatic. And you might think, what's, what's the point of this? Here's the takeaway. You might want to write this down. That often when God wants to do something for you, he will ask something from you. Understand, when God wants to do something for you, often he will ask something from you. Why is that? Well, let's look at this. He asked Elijah to go to a place where he wouldn't be welcomed. He asked a widow to give from what little she had. And the reason that God will ask something from you when he wants to do something for you is he wants to know if you trust him. He wants to know if you trust him at his word. Think about this. Obedience is only evidenced when it's tested. Like what, what I mean? Obedience can only be shown, can only be seen, can only be demonstrated 
when there is a demand placed on you. I'll put it another way. Like, loyalty can only be proven when there's an opportunity for disloyalty. Obedience can only be demonstrated when there's a test, when there's a demand. And so God, when he wants to test your obedience, what I've noticed is that his tests usually come as instructions. And God's instructions often come when it's inconvenient. Have you noticed that too? Yeah, God's instructions, they almost never come at convenient times. That's why you can't wait until you don't have any hard times to trust God for big things. So there's going to be, there's always going to be something in your life. There's always going to be a limitation to your sufficiency, a lack in what you're capable of. There's always going to be something about asking whatever God is asking you to do that's going to be hard. And I understand if you're looking at this passage, your limitation might not be the widow's limitation. I hope it's not. Uh, Your limitation might not be what she's facing, but make no mistake about it, everybody in here has a need. Everybody in here has a shortage. Everybody in here has a lack somewhere. You might not have a financial lack like this widow does. Maybe your lack is spiritual. Maybe the, the place where you have lack in your life is that your relationship with God is not where it should be, not where you want it to be. Your, your faith seems dormant. Your heart seems hard. When you worship, it, it's not an expression of gratitude. It's a, how long do I do this before I sit down again? See, your lack is a spiritual one. And so God might be asking you to do something like, God, do you know where I'm at spiritually? Like, you're arguing with yourself about why do I feel prompted to do this when I feel so deprived spiritually? It's an opportunity for you to trust him. It's a test. Could be stuff in your family where you don't feel supported or you don't feel equipped. You're, you're thinking about a loved one and you don't know how to help them, but you're seeing them continually make decisions and you know that if they continue to go down this path, how it's going to end up, but you feel powerless to do anything about it. You know, it, it could be a place where you lack is purpose. It could be clarity. You're unsure about the future. You don't know how to move forward. You feel unfulfilled and underutilized. You're facing a lot of unknowns, paralyzed by uncertainty. There's a lot greater lack than just financial poverty. And there's a lot of ways that God wants to prosper you that are not just financial too. God wants to prosper your marriage. He wants to heal your heart from a betrayal. He wants you to have freedom in your life from anxiety. Whatever your need is, God is the one that you want to meet that need. And so because he wants to meet that need, he'll ask something from you so he can do something for you. And that's what we see happen in this passage, verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Let me pause right there. God wants you 
to give something that you have, not something that you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. God's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. When God asks something from you, it's something that you have. That's what he wants you to give. You know, as we're talking about giving in this offering, let me just be real clear. I don't want anybody to give something that they don't have. You should absolutely never, ever, ever do put something on a credit card and God, I just hope you're going to provide. No, we don't do that. That's not you giving anyway. That's Visa. <laughs> if you want to give on the credit card for the points, pay it off. That's fine. You can do that. But I'm saying don't give something that you don't have. At the same time, what God is asking you to give might be scary. And this is what was fascinating to me because in verse 9, it said that God had already directed the widow. So I don't know what that means exactly. I looked in different translations. Some say he commanded the widow. Some say he instructed the widow. Some say he spoke to the widow. He told the widow. I don't know what it was like for the widow, but there was something somehow he informed the widow that he was going to use her. He's got this inside track, this inside knowledge, this information that God wants to use her, that there's something she's supposed to do. Yet, in this verse we just read, it's clear that it was scary. Elijah said, don't be afraid. So, just because God's given you an instruction doesn't mean that it won't require faith. Doesn't mean that it might be a little scary. In fact, let me say it differently. If it doesn't scare you, it's probably not God. It's probably not God. I think it should stretch you. I think it ought to be a little bit crazy. In fact, take comfort if it's a little crazy. Because Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said. So this is important, and I like this. Didn't say, hey, don't do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. Do as you've said, but first. That's the key part. But first. Make a loaf of bread for me. Bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. He didn't say give it all to me. He just said give some to me first. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. Is God is not going to ask you to give your last dollar. He's not going to but he will ask you to give your first one. He'll ask you to give your first one. And understand in, the, in our offering, I'm not asking you to give all you have, but I am asking you to give to God first. And I say that because maybe you're here and you're not ready to give, and that's okay. Look, I'm a realist. We got Christmas coming up and holidays, and you want to go on trips, and you got gas you got to pay for, and you've got... Christmas presents you want to buy, do all of that stuff. Do all of it. But first, decide what God would have you give. But first, I'm not even saying do it today. I'm just saying decide today. Honor God first. Don't believe the lie that if you put God first, you'll lose. Can I say that? Don't believe the lie that putting God first is going to cause you to lose. That is not true. 
Okay, I know you don't believe me. Let's try what Jesus said. Maybe you'll believe him. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said this. But put God's kingdom first. Do what he wants you to do. Then all those things will also be given to you. Now, I like this verse because in the context of him speaking, he's talking about material things. He's talking about possessions. He's talking about finances. He's, he's talking about all of that. And he says, put God's first. Then all that other stuff, that'll be given to you. Whatever those things are, expect that God's going to provide. And I, I know it's not easy because all of us see the need. All of us see the needs that are available. But giving to God first is the ability to see things with the eyes of faith, to see things beyond the moment. It's to give with an expectation that all those other things will be taken care of. Now, in this passage, the woman had an expectation. She had a specific expectation. The reason I know it is because Elijah gave her one. Look in verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went and did as Elijah had told her. Look, I can teach you about generosity, but it's not until you give that God can teach you about generosity. So what happens when you give? What happens when you put God first? It's the opportunity for you to learn by experience, not explanation. You get to witness God as a good, good father. The truth is, we don't give by reason. We give by revelation. What do I mean? I'm not going to hear some facts and figures, convincing argument. It's going to be a revelation in your heart that you can trust God, that you can take him at his word, that if he said it, he will watch over his word to perform it, that he is not a man, that he should lie, that he is a faithful father, and he wants you to put him to the test. He's putting you to the test. So what happens when we put God first? It's going to blow your mind. I know I have lots of clever, memorable ways to say things. I really worked hard on this one. What happens when we put God first? He provides. He provides. It's that simple. When you put God first, he will provide. And the cool thing about this story, <laughs> this is what God spoke to me through. I'd never really noticed this before. Is that God brought Elijah to Zarephath under the pretense that he was going to provide for him. You notice it, verse 9, he says, go to this region, I directed a widow there to provide for you, supply you with food. God never told Elijah, hey, when you get there, that widow, she needs a miracle. And what's going to happen is you're going to give her an instruction, and then she's going to do something, and then I'm going to do something, and then that's how things are going to happen. He didn't say that. He just said, go here, and this widow's going to provide for you. So think about this. 
Who was God trying to help? Just picture this for a minute. Was he trying to help Elijah? Was he trying to help the widow? Who's God trying to provide for? He's trying to provide for Elijah or the widow? Try it again. Who did God use? Did God use Elijah or did God use the widow? I mean, the widow had the oil, the flour. Elijah had the instruction. This is a picture of what God's going to do through this offering. See, some of you came in and you thought, okay, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to give because I want to be a blessing and I want to make something happen for somebody and I can do that. God says, that's great. You have a need. I want you to give, but I want to meet that need. I, I want to meet that thing that you've, you've kind of pushed to the back of your mind. You're thinking like, God, can you really do something? I want to meet that need. And then there's others. You maybe came in and it's like, God, I have a need. And I need you to do something. God said, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet that need. And I want to meet that need. But I want you to give. Because I want you to see that I can do a lot with your little. I want you to see what I can do through you. This is what happens when we give. When we put God first. See, sometimes God will lead you through your need. And he'll use you to make a difference in the lives of others. That's what it means to be open-handed. You thought you were being generous? God says, I'm going to give you something. You thought you needed something? God says, I want you to give and see what I can do through you. Notice verse 15. She went and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, for her family, people that weren't even mentioned in the story. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word, the Lord spoke by Elijah. Her little went a long way, all because she gave to God first. And when you give to God first, he provides. He provides. But I really can't explain it. You just have to experience it. You have to experience it.